Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the place where we help you as well as others use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we're going to be doing that through a sermon review. And if you want to submit a sermon to be reviewed or a pastor to be reviewed, you can do so via email or leave it in the comments below or DM us over on Instagram. Uh, there's a variety of different ways. And the pastor we're actually going to be looking at today, we are going to be reviewing a Kenneth Copeland sermon. And as we do, we want to make sure that we are across the board consistent and fair. So we're going to see if he reads scripture, if he uses culture and context to exegete that scripture and apply it to the modern believer's life. And then three, we're going to see if he talks about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. And we're going to be doing those things throughout this. Uh, his sermon itself is about an hour and 10 minutes. So that means this review, if I'm going to do the whole thing, which I, I, I intend to do, just buckle up. It's going to be a long ride, guys. It is. It's going to be a very long ride. But buckle up, and we're going to get through it. Oh, my goodness. Ah! I am losing my ever-loving mind here. Let's keep going. Um, so we're going to be looking at that through his entire sermon. There's a handful of things here that I think are very interesting. Before we get into it, we are going to be starting at the 45-minute uh, mark. And if you want to watch this sermon without my commentary, the link will be in the description below. If you want to support the page in any way, check out the links in the description below. You'll be able to do that down there. And uh, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and get into the sermon. Just so you kind of know where we're at, before, before we started watching, they had done some worship and some prayer, and he had talked about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And so, I mean, I think you can make the connection because that's what, uh, you know, one, Psalm 139, a lot of the time, many, much of the, almost all of the time is used in regards to uh, the pro-life side of, you know, one of the verses, the go-to verses is this. So this is what he's going to, to intro his sermon on healing the land. Um, and right before this, he was uh, in his prayer, he was thanking God for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Now, just so you know, so this is his intro. But a large part of this sermon is talking specifically about healing the land. So um, he said that. Again, I can't remember if we started there. It was a little bit after on his prayer. But so he's making a connection in his intro. So he's already talked about healing the land. He's talked about Roe versus Wade. So we kind of have this idea as he leads into this sermon. He feels like they're connected. And he is then going to try to demonstrate through scripture how they are connected. Just kind of have that in our heads as we're going. As pastors, when you're introing into, uh, it's either going to be exposition which means you're working through scripture or it's going to be topical which is what uh copeland is doing here this is the fourth of, this is on july 3rd that he preaches this so we've kind of got a little bit of july 4th holiday along with roe versus wade combined here the underlying tone for his his sermon this morning so he's starting with roe connecting it to uh god knitting us together in our mother's womb pressing in on um his belief of, of, of life beginning at conception or even before that, right? I mean, God knowing who, who we were before we were formed. This is helpful, I think, more, more for pastors than anybody else, to listen to the tone in which he's delivering it. The tone that he's delivering is very important, but I want us to pay attention to that because that matters, assuming that somebody is sitting there in the audience um, in the congregation that maybe has had the, you know, an abortion done. How, how is that... Um, being perceived in regards to uh, the gospel coming up alongside of it. But that's just something I'm noticing from the get-go. So let's get back to, um, let's get back to, one thing you are going to notice that I want to point out, especially with, um, with Kenneth. Copeland's been at his church for a very long time. I have no clue 
how long Kenneth Copeland has been preaching at his church, but I know it's been a while. So he's had this church for a while. And what you're going to see is that he's very comfortable in this. He's not concerned about staying on point. Uh, his congregation knows sort of his mannerisms and the way he goes back and forth. And I guess one of the good things here, right, is that he is very comfortable with this congregation. He's able to take his time. He draws everything out. It's, I mean, he's moving around. This intro is very, very long. It's very long because of that. But we do unedited sermon reviews for that reason, so you can see everything. So let's get back into it. Always remember this. Nothing happens in the natural world first. It has to take place in the spirit. Once it takes place in the spirit, it is finished. Then the working out comes. Just a quick note. He gives no verse for the validity of that statement. It's never, ever been the law of the land. Don't let somebody tell you that. No legislator ever voted on it. So now he goes back to road. So this is what I want you to, to listen for and see. What we have here with Copeland, and again, this is, I, this is the probably one, well, I know it's the only one I've watched all the way through. But what I notice here, and I'm assuming it's similar to the rest of the ones he does, he, he, uh, he wanders back and forth between the text versus his opinion. Like it continually does that, right? So he started with some sort of spiritual, physical realm thing. And then he jumps over to Roe right away, uh, talking about, you know, it never being law and all that. So that's just one example. We're going to see some more definitive examples of that as we go. But that's something you want to watch for. Uh, does a pastor use the scripture as sort of like, hey, this is scriptural, and then without really defining where the scripture ends and their opinion begins, like it just sort of fades into one. We're going to see it's a lot more, you know, um, solid examples of that as we go, but I just want to point that out so we kind of have that in our, in our minds. That's right. It was never the law of the land. It was an excuse to kill. Now, 2 Chronicles 7. Now, what I want you to do is go to, um, as we've talked about before, anytime there is a passage mentioned, we want to go there, right? The same thing with the Psalms one, especially the 2 Chronicles ones, because he's going to spend some time here. But you want to turn there so you're there, and we'll see why here in just a second. Verse 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. Say it. I have heard thy prayer. I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I, or then I will hear from heaven 
I will forgive their sin. I will heal their eyes. Now mine eyes shall be opened, my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Well, his people never did give up. We just kept praying and just kept declaring and believing God and standing on his word. Amen. Amen. Now, since it happened in the what court? Supreme. What court? Supreme. Supreme court. It had to be turned in the highest court in the land. So when, when, when I heard it in my spirit that this year is the year of correction and direction in governments, Well, the Lord knew what he was talking about. <laughs> this never occurred to me. Okay, so we, there's a lot there. And um, it's interesting, right? So let's go. I, I want to go over to the Bible real quick. So here is the text that he read. First Chronicles chapter um, 7. He starts at verse 12. Um, but the interesting thing, and we're not going to have time to do it, to be quite honest with you. I want you to do like note this, maybe do it later. This is such a long sermon review. To Quite frankly, we don't have time to go into all of this. But just read starting at verse 1 of 7 and then down into 12. And then honestly, I would read through the uh, just the finishing part. Just read all of chapter 7. The reason that that's important is that this verse gets taken out of context a lot. Uh, more than any other verse that I probably heard as a kid. Within the context, it's incredibly important to understand the context that they are going through drought and famine and locusts, and there's a lot of things happening in their day. There's a lot of things that they that they've done against God that God is 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 you know, punishing them for. And he's talking to Solomon specifically about Solomon's prayer for this. So read all of seven. That's important. Well, why is that important? Because the way Kenneth is using it is to say, this is us. Like it's a direct read. This verse is often used as a direct read that if if America, because this is, this is where he's going, but you could theoretically throw any country or nation in there, but he's using it as America. If America, right, who are called, the, the people in America are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, da, 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 da. That's how he's using it. Um, and that's that's problematic for a couple of reasons. One, that's not what the, the, these verses are saying. That's not what Second Chronicles chapter seven verse fourteen is saying. It's a specific promise to Israel. Now, is there a principle there that we can learn as believers today? Yeah, there is a principle that if you follow the the the, the laws of God and the, his his decrees, good things will happen. Because you are, you are living within the boundaries and ways that God created humanity to live. So you're going to have benefits from that. But to assume that what we see in, in, in this chapter, in this verse specifically, is meant for us, which is how it's often read, is, is 
It's just disingenuous to what's actually happening in this passage. And we just need to recognize that. Is it a passage that's that's filled with so much hope for those that follow Christ? Yes, because what we see is that God honors those that honor his law and dictates and decrees. But to say it's a one for one, like if we can just get everybody praying, then God will do this thing. Like it's a, he has to, he's bound to it. We've got him in an arm wrestling competition and we've almost got him down. We just need four more people to pray. That's not what um, is happening here. And we just need to recognize that because that's how Kenneth is using this. Um, and this is how he's going to continue to use it because he's making the direct connection that Christians in America prayed. Therefore, God overturned Roe and is healing the land. That is the direct correlation that he is making. And that's a very short-sighted correlation, given the fact that like that, like, that puts a lot of weight on the last 50 years um, versus the entire history of America or the entire history of the world leading back to when Second Chronicles happened, right? Um, it's assuming a ton on that. Um, that just isn't seen in those verses. But that's, I just want to say that because so often this passage is taken out of context to be like this direct correlation. If you do this, God has to do this. This is a promise he makes to Solomon and his people in this time. There are principles there, but that is not, it's not a one-to-one. Now, turn now to the book of Isaiah. I want to show you that God has done his part. Isaiah chapter one, let's begin reading with the 21st verse. How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Murderers. So do you see what he's doing though? So he's built this presupposition out at the beginning of the sermon of this direct correlation to murderers being uh, those that commit abortions. Now, again, just to be clear, I'm on, this is, this is maybe the only thing I agree with Kenneth Copeland on at all (laughs) Uh, outside of Jesus Christ being the savior of the world, the Messiah. Like there's not a whole lot I agree with Kenneth Copeland on. But his, this reality that abortion is murder, I would agree with him on. But he's built this presupposition of that into these verses so that when he reads them, there's this assumption. And it's not just um, this, oh, like, it's not a, oh, here's an example A and here's an example B. With the Second Chronicles passage, he's connected that passage to America, and now he is... He's weaving it together with the Isaiah passage to make the connection stronger. So we need to see that that, that's problematic. And this, if you don't believe me, well, I mean, just keep listening or watching because that bears itself out as we go. And I can't emphasize enough. I can't emphasize enough how problematic that is when you, when you do that, because it's not only eisegesis where you're reading yourself in, like it's a, it's a very close tie together to where it's almost unrecognizable to where you you just literally read yourself into any verse that you're reading and that becomes just very bad theologically 
personally, I don't hold the women totally responsible, but the doctors. They know better than that. They have sworn an oath to protect and heal. Thank you, Jesus. The princes are rebellious, companions of thieves. Everyone loves gifts or bribes, follow after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angelic armies of God, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away your dross or your aloe and tin. Take away all thy tin. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, a faithful, faithful city. He restored our judges. Okay, so did you see it? Like, I just wanted to make sure, like, I didn't let that go in any further than I needed to, so you could see that connection. He directly associates the unfaithful city that we see in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21 uh, through 26, directly correlates that city's rebellion and fall into sin and God's subsequent judgment and restoration. He just ignores all of that. (laughs) The whole, forget context. It doesn't like, just it's out the window. It's he, it almost seems, and I don't know. I mean, Kenneth Copeland's been doing this forever, right? I'm giving, I'm trying to give the man the benefit of the doubt that he knows the scriptures, right? I mean, surely he knows the scriptures. He knows he's been through them a lot. I'm sure he's read the Bible a whole bunch. Like I have no doubt of any of that. But if you get to, I mean, if you're coming to here and you get down to verse 26, and I will restore the judges as at first, and you automatically assume that that is the Supreme Court judges, and that's what has happened, um, and you make that direct correlation, right, from this verse, which does not mean that, that's a red flag right away. Now, again, I think the reason, well... I'm hoping that the reason so many people are like on his side and like, yes, yes, is because they have this, this acknowledgement of the reality that God works in ways that we just don't understand sometimes. And that, you know, people get put in positions, not by accident, but because of God's overarching plan for humanity and for his glory. Right. So in that way, yes, that, I mean, the judges were put there, but then you also have to acknowledge the, the, down the road, those implications as well. If you're going to say the judges were put there, um, then you're also going to say that any president gets put into place because God wants them there. And I would say, I'm just guessing, Copeland doesn't think that maybe that's the truth with with President Biden. So you have to be consistent in your thinking, at least, in regards to this, this process and not just read things into Scripture just because it says judges in there, now you, you assume it's Supreme Court judges. Anyway. That's where it happened. That's where it had to be changed. 
Now, we put the Lord, our God on notice when we began to pray and we had prayer teams, team, T together, E everyone, A accomplishes much. That's a prayer team. Where do you find it in the Bible? In agreement prayer as touching anything that they shall ask. It will be done of our Father in heaven. So what you see here is the implications of this thought then, right? So if you have this idea that, um, if you have this idea that God is, only works um, if you ask him or in that same line of thought is bound to do something. Like he has to do something if you ask him to do it. Then um, you sort of see like your theology bears itself out that way whenever like you, when you, when you think that way, there's going to be certain implications that come from that. And I just want you to see that. So Kenneth Copeland apparently says, okay, God only does things if you ask him, which is why prayer teams are important. And when you start asking and believing that it will be accomplished, he's bound to do it. So does God work through prayer? Of course, God works through prayer. Is he bound to, uh, bound to answer you simply because you ask? No, we don't, we don't see anywhere where that's the thing. Um, where he had, like, you've got him in a chokehold because you ask him something and you believe that he would do it. Um, He's not bound to, to do it simply because you ask him to do it. We pray in the, not just in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, son of the living God. Amen. Now we pray in the name of Jesus, but when you're coming down to life and death, this is big. It's just huge. Now then, Isaiah 25. Again, turn there just so you got it. Here's something I will say as, as he kind of gets there that is not common um, in a lot of these sermon reviews we do. Oftentimes, the congregation will not have Bibles or you won't see them looking down. In this case, like if you like look at these people, they're all looking down. They are all looking at their Bibles. So it's not that they're not looking at the scriptures. It's not that they're not looking it up. It's that they're assuming because Copeland has said that it is the way it is, that that is the way it is then. And this is where it, I think... A, this is where a lot of the idea comes from, or a lot of sort of the warning, red flag waving comes from. Whenever we do some of these reviews, or you'll see people online point people out as quote unquote false teachers or problematic, because they're they're being taught how to read the Bible here. So what they were just taught in Isaiah chapter one is that if I see the word judges, I can just assume that it means Supreme Court judges. I know that sounds silly, but that's what he just did. That's what he's done on a couple of the verses. That's what we're going to continue to do. There's actually an enormous, I mean, it's not just one red flag. It's an entire uh, a marching band brigade of red flags that's coming up later in the sermon in which this happens. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit in 1776? 
You're now made perfect by the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain? Have you suffered the war of revolution the, and the... And you're teaching people how to read the Bible when you preach it. That's why it's very important. One of the qualifications of an elder is that they're able to teach the word. Why? Because you're teaching people how to read it. You're teaching people theology by way of the sermon. And if you mess that up, you're messing up their, the way they read the Bible, the way they perceive God, all of it. And that's all a problem. So let's, let's see where he goes. Isaiah chapter 25. Verse 6. In this mountain <clears throat> shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines and the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death and victory and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all their faces. Victory over death. Now, let's look Praise God. Just, he's buying his time here with the praise Thank God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because <laughs> he's trying praise to get there. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare... Again, I would encourage you to turn to all these. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The reason this is important, especially when... Um, you're jumping around like this. It's not that it's bad to jump around like this. There are certain topical sermons that you're going to preach on that you're going to have to jump around like this. I just did a topical sermon. Uh, well, actually, the last two times I preached and I had to jump around. The What you're looking for is context within this these, these cross-references. You're hoping these are cross-references that are lining up with one another to bring forth an application that shows that all throughout the scriptures, this is application. He's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, or... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, rather. Um, one of the things that you need to understand before we get into this, and you wouldn't know this, I guess, if you were just sitting down listening to him, but this uh, in 15 is a very interesting chapter in regards to the context of, of the book. Really briefly, people are concerned about what happens, what's, what's going to happen to Christians that have already died. Because in their head, you have to understand they're, they're expecting Jesus to come back. And if, you know, Jim got saved and believed in Jesus and followed after the way his teachings and, you know, is expecting Jesus to come back and now Jim's dead, what does that mean for Jim then when Jesus comes back? This is the kind of the question that's being asked. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first half covers the resurrection of Christ and the second half covers the resurrection of the body of, you know, believers. What's going to happen? Because that's the fundamental question they're asking. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, we've read it so many times, we assume that like it, it just becomes very familiar to us, which is good and bad. For them, there, this is a real concern for them. 
what happens now that this Christian has died, but Jesus hasn't come back yet? When Jesus comes back, what happens then to this believer? What happens to those of us that aren't dead? And this is sort of the undertone of what we see in 15. This is a very um, confusing passage if you just read it all the way through. This is one of the few passages that I'd say, like, you need to sit down and, like, line by line it. Um, just because of how much is in here. And the way it's written, too, makes it, for me at least, a little bit hard to read. Unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. That's where we've been standing all this time, is in the gospel. The good news of the blessing. And the blessing of this land was terribly curtailed. So easy for the devil to just get in and just rip and tear apart things and people. I delivered unto you, first of all, which I received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. The now, one thing that you always want to, and this is why we look at it, right? So here, I want to show you really quick. This is what I want you to see. So what he did, he got, he brought us to first Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, chapter, yeah, chapter 15. Sorry. He started reading at verse one. He got down to the end of verse four, where it says, uh, in accordance to the scriptures. And then he skipped over five, six, seven, eight. And then he went all the way down. Um, man, where did he start again? I think he started at verse 12. Yeah. So he skipped from five to 12. Well, why, why do you think, what do you think he did that for? Well, because it was convenient to what he was saying, but also the in-between of that isn't, isn't something that he would probably, I mean, I, I don't want to assume, but uh, it talks all about uh, persecuted for ch the, uh, the church. It, it talks about things here that he skips over. It's important to read the entire section because the section is written for a reason. It gives us context. It gives us an idea of why they're saying what they're saying um, and that we just need to pay attention to that. I know in other sermon reviews we've talked about, they leave out like certain words. All of this is red flags. Like, why are we not reading all of the scripture that's provided here? Verses six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and 11 are there for a reason. Let's read them. So all that to say, let's get back to what he's saying. Grace of God, the grace of God in this nation is what held it together. Amen. There are two nations that will not fail. That's right. The United States, because the first act of Congress was to dedicate this nation to God. And our first president, George Washington, in a little, little chapel in New York, Washington DC didn't exist, but New York City did. In that chapel, the entire Congress of the United States prayed and said, you'll be our God and we'll be your people. Now, first covenants count. 
That's what's held us together at all throughout this whole time. Glory to God against every kind of... Now, aside from... Um, I, I know people will argue about the foundation, you know, the founding of the country. Were they Christian? Were they not? Here, there's, I think there's sufficient evidence to note that many of them were. And that a lot of the things, as far as laws, are based on biblical things that we can find within the Bible. That's not the point that I'm making here. What I want to make, like, draw out is that he said there's two nations that won't fail. America, and he hasn't got to the other one yet. And he's basing the, the, his idea of America not failing on the, uh, the reality that they met and they prayed. And then he's saying that that was a covenant that they made with God. Um, and Kenneth talks a lot about covenants. I, I've noticed that just the clips I've seen. Again, I've not watched a full sermon except this one. But the clips I've seen, it seems like that's a big deal for him as covenants. Um, but surely knowing covenants, he would know that like if you break a covenant, I mean, just look at Israel in the Old Testament. There's, there's, there's ways to get, you know... Um, rebuked or punished for breaking covenants. Um, the entire scripture is full of people that were not able to keep the covenant that they were supposed to keep. God's the only one that's been trustworthy to keep the covenant uh, ever in any circumstance. Um, so that's a big statement that America will not fail ever. Now, I mean, I hope it doesn't, right? I We benefit a lot from having a country um, that has um, all of the the, the freedoms that we have, but to base this idea on, on a covenant, um, it's just an interesting, it shows a lot of his theology is all I'm saying. Wickedness and evil you can think of. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And the nation of Israel. Can you imagine Israel ever making abortion legal? This is interesting. I'm almost positive that Israel does have legal abortions. I, I didn't look this up beforehand. I meant to and I didn't. But I'm almost positive that it does. So that sort of contradicts his, his whole point. Must have been born under a rock <laughs> to even have that idea. But we are tied together at the heart. And our graciousness to Israel is another thing that kept this from tearing us apart any worse than it already has. One eternity later. For some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. Some have not the knowledge of God. Still, ignorance is no excuse under the law. Every doctor that aborted a baby. Okay, so let's let's see that though, right? So we started at verse 20, read literally all the way through the end of the chapter. There is a a ton there that you could break down, not only contextually within the church, the questions they're asking, the actions that they're doing, what Paul is explaining. Um, there's a lot there. That is a whole sermon, maybe two in and of itself, just that. But even with all of that, all he gets, all he's going to use is uh, verse 33 and 34. I mean, there's a lot there. So kudos for reading all of that. 
but we didn't explain any of that. We didn't walk through that. Again, that's, I mean, again, that's not the purpose of his message. He's not talking about resurrection from the dead. He's not talking about God putting all things under his feet, really. I mean, that's sort of a tone of the sermon, but that's not what he's going to use. He's only going to use these last verses to specifically tie back to his original point. Which, again, goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. He set the tone at the beginning. He sort of he sort of built in this foundation of what he, uh, the pretense of what he was going to talk about. And now everything that he's reading, he's drawing that pretense out of that, uh, whether it be judges that aren't really judges. Uh, they're not the Supreme Court judges. That's not what you know, Isaiah was talking about, uh, in Chronicles, he was talking about America, you know, uh, or just Christians in general praying and the, the healing of the land occurring again, Solomon was the one being talked to and promised that there are definitely principles that we can pull out of here, but this idea that this direct connection, uh, we're just reading it in. And again, it, this gets a little worse. I mean, I know right now you're be like, you might, you might be saying, Michael, you're nitpicking. You're just, you're just nitpicking all of this. Well, wait, you're going to see here in a minute. Um, I don't know how much farther in here. We still got a lot of this sermon review left, um, but it gets worse. So let's keep going. That's one count of murder. The next one, two counts. The next one, three counts. Under the law of heaven, that's a serial killer because he's killing for money. And now they're all crying about it. Well, how true the Spirit of God through the great apostle said the love of money is the root of all evil. I won't take the time to go into what all happened during COVID in order to keep the money flowing. So just to point out, right? So we, again, we read all these verses. So technically on our point one, just to kind of, just to, to address this, cause I know it'll probably come up or maybe you're thinking about it, or maybe somebody's thinking about it. The first point is, do they read scripture? That's the first thing we're looking for. Technically, yes, we read scripture. We read, we read a ton of scripture. There's verses upon verses that we read. We didn't explain any of them. And the one that we do pull out doesn't have anything to actually do with what we're talking about. And then he goes to the verse about the love of money, which isn't even, isn't even in the verses that we read. It's a totally separate section. And now tying it back to something else. Like it's all over the place. Now we do have this kind of through line of Roe versus Wade currently holding us together. Um, but that's what's holding the sermon together. That idea that, that what he's talking about, not the verses at all. In fact, we've read a lot. We've explained none of it and we've actually read ourselves into all of it. So, so far, like I, 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 I'm sure there's going to be people that are, that are be like, no, no, like show me where we've explained any of this within an actual, um, 
in an exegetical way where we understand the context of what's happening, why what's being said is what's being said, uh, how we've drawn that out, and we can apply the principle. That's not what we've done. We've read ourselves into all of these. Let's keep going, because now we're just we're on a COVID thing now. Eventually. But now that we've established that, let's continue to read. Let's go down now. Well, we can uh, verse 35, some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear a grain it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. God giveth it a body as it pleased him and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, another of birds. What's he saying? That all comes from a seed the seed of life, everything. Johnson grass comes from a seed and it's such a powerful seed. Old Johnson ought to have been knocked in the head for ever bringing it here. (laughs) He thought this would be wonderful feed for cattle, but the blades are too sharp. Now, once you Now they have those big round bales of hay, but for a cow to graze on it in the field, oh, it's, 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 they just, they just back off from it. They won't eat it, but you can bale it and feed it. But he's talking about seed here. Now follow it again. There are also celestial bodies, bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. And so is also also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, the second and last Adam, which is Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. How be it? That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Natural people in the Supreme Court did this. Now, one of the Supreme Court justices
Okay, before we get any further, just one thing to note, right? If we can learn anything from this, I don't know if you feel this dragging. <laughs> I feel this dragging. I mean, we, we've been at this for a minute. We've still got, oh man, we've still got a minute. We've still got a little bit left. Um, he's, we've been at this at an hour, which is normally where I would cut it off. But I want to go all the way through because I want you to keep seeing this. There's a lot we can learn from this, especially near the end. But what he's doing here is, um, I don't want to say I don't want to say it's bad because he's reading large chunks of scripture, which in and of themselves would be very helpful to to kind of um, you know preach on. But he's basically read almost all of chapter fifteen in First Corinthians. And there's so much there in regards to their question about uh, Christ's resurrection, their Christ about you know the our bodily resurrections, uh, about what those bodies will look like when they are resurrected. There's a lot there. This sermon in of, it, of itself is really should be preached on the resurrection from the dead and the questions we have about what happens you know to our physical bodies when we die until Christ returns. Like that would be a sermon to be preached pretty thoroughly through through these verses here. Now, what Copeland's doing, and I think you've probably picked it up, but because he, he pointed out a few times, but he's using this analogy to connect to, again to Roe versus Wade about the, uh, the the seed that all all everything comes from seed. It may be different types of seed, but everything comes from seed. All flesh is different, and then it does go into, and I don't I don't remember, but I don't think he touches on this. And then Paul sort of pivots to uh, the spiritual and the physical as well being different in uh in their glories as well um talking again going through all of these categories to answer the questions that the corinthians have written about you have to understand the context of that it's important they have these questions paul is answering those questions and we can preach on these verses with i mean really just this this glory to what god has done and will do for his people um but what's happened is Kenneth is going to these verses and pulling out again to 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 talk about seed in connection to Roe versus Wade. This is the the one connection he's trying to make here out of all of these verses uh, in regards to uh, the body and the resurrection. So let's keep going. Six and a half hours later. And finances, churches, and governments. So the Lord spoke that. Now, once he spoke it, you can't get it back. Do you see what he's claiming? He's claiming that the Lord spoke that to him. Therefore, the word for 2022, what he just stated on the screen, the Lord, he claims, spoke it to him. And therefore, it has to happen because he's claiming words from God. That's what he just did. He's claiming that those words came from God through him and now must be fulfilled. But it's super vague. It's so vague. He could claim anything and attach it to it. And that's where it's just silliness. So he's going to read a lot of it again. I just want to let this go all the way through. So there can't be any sort of accusation that I'm not, I'm taking him out of context. I'm not understanding what he's saying. This thing's going to be like a two and a half hour video is what it is. I guess guys, um, because I want to demonstrate that this, like, he said a lot. He has said a ton of stuff up to this point. None of it very beneficial. None of it 
actually exegeting scripture and teaching it to us. All of it, at least up to this point, has been us reading ourselves into it. And that's only been like 10% of the sermon time. The rest of it has been story. Like uh, Kenneth says this or that and the other thing. And we've... Oh my goodness. This is the point in the video. This is where I don't edit these, right? Or I try not to edit these. This is just the raw... Michael is about to have a mental breakdown because we've been sitting here so long. Three weeks later. Diligently under the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings. I give a lot of, of, of flack to pastors that uh, over uh, summarize passages instead of just reading them. I've said that in a number of sermon reviews. Man, you should have just read it. It would have been easier than summarizing it. I This is the first time I have ever said this should go the other way. Just summarize this. Like, Why are you reading all of this when you're not even going to get into it? And you're not going to explain any of it. You're not going to go through why this is important. Just summarize it. Just summarize it instead of reading all of this. Because we have read so much scripture and explained hardly any of it in a thorough way. Um. It, well, in a correct way, because what he's going to do here in a minute, he's going to tie this all back to America anyway. <laughs> so it's like, we're not even talking about it within context or culture or what's actually happening. So why read it all? 12 seconds later. They're shouting with a loud voice. Don't you know it reverberated through that valley? My, my, my. It was to mark their thinking. I really do need to obey his word. I really do need to do that. I don't want to live on that bare mountain over there. He was demonstrating to them what would happen. Now, this was actually carried out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Right. So what he just said, as far as the demonstration of what would happen, as well as what he's about to say, as far as what was carried out is, is the first time. And I've got to give him credit where I've given, you know, should give him credit for, because this whole time so far, it's been just absolutely terrible. So now I should give him credit for where I can is that he's actually talking about the context. He's actually ha talking about the people that it happened to and you know, what happened to them and how it was an example to them and how it was a metaphor for them of this is what this is going to look like. You don't want to do that because this is a result of you disobeying. So I at least need to give him credit where credit is due when we're talking about this, even though you know, it's, it's taken him forever to get to this point. It doesn't really have anything to do with the restoration of the land, at least a tie-in that makes sense. What you have to ask yourself is when a sermon is this long, the amount of information you give people is important because it is either going to be understandable to them or it is not going to be understandable. At all. It's just going to get lost in a big bowl of information and they're not going to remember what you wanted them to remember or at least in a way that you wanted them to remember it in. Uh. This is a perfect time again to mention he had it, he has it teed up so we can talk about salvation and freedom from sin and death and freedom in Christ to righteousness. He has um, the, he he could do that. He's not gonna, but he could. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. I I know this. I doubt anyone has made it this far. But if you are still with me. If you're still here, um, 
first of all, thank you. Second of all, I hope that this is just drilled into your head to a point of nauseation. Nauseam? I don't even know words anymore. Um, this is almost tortured for me at this point. <laughs> this is drilled into you, the reality that you can read a ton of scripture. That does not mean you're actually talking about anything. That doesn't mean you're actually explaining anything. It doesn't mean you're actually teaching people or you're learning anything. It just means you're reading a bunch of it and you're missing the overall point here. There are so many times we could have presented the gospel. There are so many times we could have drilled down into something that made it incredibly applicable and helpful for the members and the people that are listening in direct correlation to how they can respond to Roe versus Wade, how they can directly respond to uh, uh, to their nation and to the laws being made in our nation. Like there's a lot of things that could have been drilled down into and explained through a gospel lens in order to help people um, grow in Christ, grow in sanctification. But we have just been hit with so much scripture, none of it explained, that it is just heavy. It is just, you don't know what you're hearing. And you're, you're, this is probably the first sermon review that I've ever done, that there's, that it's not a lack of scripture being read. It's actually the, the, the mountain of scripture being poured on you makes it impossible for you to actually understand what the scripture is saying at all. And that's the same same result is you don't understand what scripture said, but now it's because you've had so much so much of it. Like you can't process through all of it in in a way that's helpful to you as a believer because it's just so much. And now the onus now falls upon Kenneth Copeland to explain to you what all this means because there's so much here, and you can't you can't possibly understand all of it because there's so much being talked told to you right now that well let kenneth explain it to you because he's the one that's went through all of this he gets all of it he will definitely explain it to you correctly and he's already proven i think i would argue that i'm right in this assessment that he can't do it correctly and we're about to see the monumental i know it's been two hours plus waiting for this monumental thing to happen here shortly he's about to demonstrate exactly how yeah he can't if, if reading America into the place of Israel in that one text wasn't enough for you, just wait. It only gets better. And by better, I mean worse. One eternity later. And everybody that voted for anybody based on that is, a, is an accomplice. And I'll have to answer judgment for it. Okay, so now, so we've read, so here's the thing. Here's the, here's the irony to all of this. We've read a bunch of scripture. Um, we've not taught from any of it. Now we're making uh, a correlation to, to salvation based on people's voting. Now, again, I think a, there, there can be a lot said in this. In, there can be a lot said about what you vote for and how it lines up with scripture. But here's the thing. If you're going to make that statement, if that's going to be sort of the hill you're going to plant your flag on. You need to make it from scripture then and not from your some random thing you said, right? So if you're going to, for example, and I know this is not what Kenneth is saying here, but if you're going to say call for church discipline for somebody that's registered Democrat or votes Democrat, you better be able to be able to get from scripture something that actually qualifies as church discipline based upon just them having a certain political party. Like they're, You can't just make some random things up. Like you have to have it from scripture. There's a reason 
There's a reason that that is the standard. And again, I'm not some of the some of the stuff he's saying. I think it's I would agree with in regards to you just like you're gonna have to answer for 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 uh, putting people in power that are um, uh, advocating for 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 abortion. You're gonna have to answer, but you got to think through that. You have to help people see why that's a problem via scripture, not just because you said it. Oh my god. Ah, I am losing my ever-loving mind here. Let's keep going. Chapter 3. O foolish Americans, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, for whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only what I learn of you received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit in 1776? You're now made perfect by the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain? Have you suffered the war of revolution the, and the... Okay, you're, you're hearing that, right? Like you're hearing him insert American history or the American country like the you're you're hearing that right he's inserting it into galatians chapter 3 if anything else in this entire sermon hasn't proven to you that he does not know how to handle scripture correctly that he literally is reading like not even he's not even kind of trying to get around it he is literally reading American history into the text. He'd be like, well, he's trying to make a point. No, there's a way better way to make a point than replacing the words or interjecting the words in a place where they do not belong. You can do a way better job at it than that. And he's going to keep doing it. I just wanted to stop just in case you were listening or you were watching and you were doing something else because this video is a like three hours long like just so you kind of got drawn back in and you start paying attention a little bit like he's he's inserting things into scripture now now he wouldn't i highly doubt that he would say that's exactly how you're supposed to read it every single time but what he is doing is problematic in the point that he's encouraging you he's teaching you he is saying that this is okay to do when it's not many months later. I can just hear Jesus saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) But some of them do know what they're doing. Hallelujah. We are literally clapping for nothing. He got done, zipped up his thing, had no real definitive ending at all. Why? Okay, we're so close, guys. We're, We're within 10 minutes. I didn't think I'd see it. I didn't think you'd be here to see it. I know the one of you that's still there passed out on the floor shaking because it's been three hours. We're almost there. Okay, here we go. This is the last of it. Let's bring it into the home stretch. The last creepy thing that he does. 
um, that I think some of us have actually been a part of ourselves. So just stick around because I think we've all done this uh, at one point or another. So right now, wherever you are in the sound of my voice, just lay all that sin at his feet. Just see it in your, see it in your mind's eye. Just see him hanging there on that cross. And that Roman soldier stuck that spear up on his rib cage and the blood and water of his heart flowed. Thank you, Jesus. And just say, oh God in heaven, forgive me. Okay, so this is where they're repeating. All right, so I'm going to have them to a point, and then we'll stop it, and then we'll end this whole thing. But I want you to hear this. Like, this is just sort of like they know when to repeat, and it's everyone. Like, this chant behind it isn't, hey, have you decided to make a decision to follow Jesus today? It, that, that's not how it's presented. It's all of us. We're all repeating this, whether you're saved or not, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ or not. Like, we're all repeating this prayer, which, if you're already following Christ, makes no sense for you to repeat. Um, but listen, just listen briefly and then we'll stop it. Of all my sins of every kind, whatever they are, I feel terrible about it, but only you can change it. For I understand that the Bible says any person in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. And I know today abortion is wiped out of my record. Because of his precious sinless blood. It's wiped away. Okay. So that's what I wanted to point out. So basically there's this idea here that like whether you had an abortion or not, whether you uh, encourage someone to have an abortion or not, you're repeating this prayer saying things that are very possibly not true about you as well as repeating just in a very weird culty way, the same prayer everyone else is praying from Supreme Leader Kenneth Copeland up there. Um, a little weird, a little weird, uh, but I think there's lots of people, myself included, that grew up in churches or have attended services that sort of were like that. So, you know, you, you live, you learn, you get loves, right? So um, here's the thing. We're going to end it. One, did he uh, read the scriptures? Yes, technically he read the scriptures, um, technically. Two, did he uh, exegete them and teach from them? Absolutely not. And three, did he mention the gospel and uh, the good news of Jesus Christ? Uh, kind of. The, the end there got a little sketchy pretty quick. So I'm going to not count that and just going to say uh, uh, one, one big fail. The verdict is in. Not, not good. Not good at all. So that's where we're going to finish. 
that's where we're going to be done. Oh my goodness, guys, if you made it this far, you are the champions of the world. You deserve a trophy. You're amazing. You're awesome. There's nothing I can give you. Just pat yourself on the back if you can still move. Hopefully, you were hydrated through this whole thing. I'm going to go have a protein bar because I'm exhausted. So thank you for sticking around. If you want more content of this, and I literally don't have any idea who would want more content that's nearly three hours long of Kenneth Copeland. But if that is you, make sure you leave a like, make sure you subscribe. And if you want to financially support us so we can keep doing really cool things that we've been doing this whole stream, which is, you know, picture in picture, all of that cool stuff, um, you can support us via Patreon. Yeah, there's a couple of tiers there. One of them is just a tier to get the sermon reviews early and the podcast early. And the other one is you get to spend an hour with me a month on a call and we can talk about whatever. If that interests you, check out the links below. Guys, thank you for being cool. And I want to end with this, let you know that Jesus loves you and I'm trying. I'll talk to you later.